0: I really just want to say thank you for doing this and putting Mothers Together out there for everyone. It's been such a huge blessing for me um, to just have this community and to know that there are other women out there that are going through this exact same thing that I'm going through. And like the stuff that we talk about is just, I'm like, yes, like, I don't know anyone else I could talk to about poop, but like, I'm going to talk to you guys about poop. It's just, it's really refreshing to be able to say everything and anything and never feel judged by anyone. I just always just feel constantly supported. So like, this is gold to me. And I just want to say thank you for putting this together and for starting something like this. It's just, it's been crazy incredible um, and has seriously been better than like the six months of therapy I did last year. I just want to thank you because I did not really expect to connect so well with the women in my group and so quickly and I just feel like I haven't really had a group of friends in a very long time much less a group of friends that understands a lot of the day-to-day struggles that we have and I know that's the reason you created this um created Mothers Together is because it's hard to find that connection and I thought I'd give it a try and I'm really 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 grateful that I did because we've all really connected really very well and I'm very grateful for it what it means to me um everything um before Mothers Together I was um alone I felt alone on an island um where I, I didn't know who to talk to or where to get answers to questions or even just have a chat a chat with somebody who understood what it was like to have a neurodiverse kiddo um and and what all that means and now I have that I found it it's a community it's mothers together it's me reaching out anytime I have a question a thought um a quote I need um I need to vent um I need help that it's just it wraps up into it means everything to me to have that connection and that support system um, at my fingertips, and I'm so glad that I found Mothers Together. These wonderful moms you just heard from are just a few of the members of Mothers Together, my support group style community for moms raising neurodivergent kids. So you all know how passionate I am about Mothers Together. I remember how very lonely and isolating it was to raise my child, not knowing if anyone else out there was going through a similar experience. What I would have done to send a quick text to a friend who could simply say, I totally relate, you're doing the best you can, you're an amazing mother. So when I launched this community in August of 2021, I set out to provide each and every mom with the exact level of lasting friendships, deep connections, and judgment-free support that she needed. With over 100 members now, the feelings are mutual. What we've gained can only be measured in true validation and close relationships. So what do you get when you join Mothers Together? There are three pieces to the community. Number one, the forum, off of social media with its own app, lets you search by category. Everything from location to age of child to diagnosis to types of schooling and many more to connect right away with moms who might be going through a similar struggle as you. Number two, your support group, called the Pod Squad. that's your home base. Matched personally by me with other moms and mothers together, you have weekly meetings and check on each other on a regular basis, sometimes every day. When I jump on Marco Polo, the video messaging app, I hear messages between moms such as, how was that doctor's appointment? We're thinking of you. Let us know how the play date went. I'm having a really tough morning. School drop-off was a nightmare. I need to vent. Not only do you have your pod squad, but you also have access to the entirety of Mothers Together members, ensuring you can grow your web of support as large as you personally need to. And number three, our monthly guest expert live Q&A, so we can get some professional advice right there on the spot. We've had such amazing guests as Laura Pettix, otherwise known as the OT Butterfly on Instagram, a pediatric neuropsychologist, a therapist, an IEP coach, a life coach, an EFT practitioner, and many more. If you are struggling with the day-to-day grind of motherhood, wondering who in the world understands the challenges of raising a neurodivergent child, Mothers Together is your ticket out of being stuck in your head. Your people are here, right now, waiting for you. So don't wait. Sign up and join us at ontheharddays.com forward slash Mothers Together. New pod squads start soon. It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you were so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community, and in this podcast, On The Hard Days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on The Hard Days. Welcome back, everybody. I am here with an amazing mom. This is Nancy. And when Nancy tells her story, um, many, many of you are going to go, oh my gosh, yes, me too. Yes, that's my child too. And Nancy and I met uh, in a Facebook group and we were just discussing the fact that we're both in like 10 different Facebook groups, probably that that deal with specific pieces of our out-of-the-box kids' needs. And so (laughs) she was like, I think I met you here. And it's like, well, that could have been or here or here or here. And we're all in these, these same groups, but we have, I have found the groups helpful years ago when I first heard the term twice exceptionality, which I had never heard of. And even in terms like anxiety and ADHD and sensory processing, when you first enter that world, I, especially when Facebook was a little bigger a few years ago, that, that definitely was a helpful place to land for information. So I I can't wait to hear your side of it. So Nancy, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thanks, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So I have a son who's 14 now. And um, I guess I'll just start at the beginning, which was that I think pretty much from the day he was born, we knew that he was sort of, I guess, highly sensitive. Um he was startled easily. He um, you know, he needed a certain, he needed this certain same routine to sleep. Um, and I sort of described it as um, like as long as he got exactly what he needed, he was easy. But of course, it was a lot of work to get him exactly what he needed. And I was working and you know, and all that stuff. Uh and my wife was working. So it it was it was very difficult. And as he got older, uh, he Absolutely had lots of sensory issues, clothes, um, shoes became a huge problem. We used to say that shoes were the enemy that of all that was good in the world. Uh then socks. No, oh, um, yes.
0: <laughs> I hear you on the socks. We just had a sock battle this morning.
1: We a lot of years it just cracks barefoot, you know. Forget about weather, wear any shoes you can get on, jacket, no jacket, doesn't matter. Just have some have some clothes on. So <laughs> You're not naked in the world. Um, uh, And then uh, the anxiety got worse around five, I would say. I would say the peak of the difficulty was about five for us. And um, I don't know if it was for him that was a difficulty, but for us as his parents, I think that was the hardest. Um, I think that's when kids start kind of growing out of the baby stuff and the toddler stuff, and he's got worse. So we were on a trip with family and he was having meltdown after meltdown and we were trying to go to the ocean, which is my favorite place and which is his most scary place we discovered when he was five. Um, And the beach doesn't, the sand doesn't feel good when you have sensory issues and the waves are big and um, the screaming scared him of the other kids having fun. He didn't know that they were having fun. He just heard screaming. Um, So it was a lot of, having to understand the world from his perspective which is not what you expect Um, and or not what I expected I should say Um, even though I have a lot of these issues myself I have a lot of sensory issues but mine are different I love the ocean I found I found comfort in the ocean as a kid so that was kind of surprising to me they tell you to send your kids out in nature when they're sort of you know, to calm them down. But for him, it made him worse because he was scared of it. And he's got a lot of weather issues. Um, and again, like people, if it rains out and everybody grabs their umbrella and they're kind of rushing around and grab their umbrella, he would get scared because he didn't understand. He thought it meant it was dangerous. He didn't, we would make jokes like, oh, they just don't want their hair to get messed up or they don't want their fancy shoes to get ruined just to try and make it a little bit lighter. But we'd still have to go home. So that was sort of the best we could get to at those ages were just keeping it so it wasn't a disaster and just getting home and then decompressing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can really relate to um, just that sense of panic almost. So the umbrella example is is such a good one because it's not like people were panicking, but if there's a a sudden rush um, of any sort, any sort, that is a yep. serious trigger here. Um, yep. Even a happy one. Oh, like it's a parade and the fire trucks are coming. Oh, oh, pay attention, the fire trucks are coming. Wow. Yeah. And, and oh my gosh, and that's overwhelming. So overwhelming. Yeah. So feel that that's hard.
1: Yeah, and it's a situation that a lot of kids love, um, and even that kids with sensory issues can love. If they have the kind of opposite sensory issues that my son has, they might even really love those situations. But for him. It was just anything and everything you might hear or see or feel or touch or, you know, in your visual sight at all um, became over, completely overstimulating. So parades didn't work. Um, uh, You know, when he was little, he could sit in his stroller and it's, I think if he felt comforted or if we were holding him, he he could do a lot of those things. Um, But as he got older and was, you know, wanted to be out, or he was too heavy to carry for too long, or whatever. Um, we had to avoid all of those fun things that that parents send their kids to. Or, you know, you hear about, you know, I have friends who take their kids this, their six and seven and eight year olds to the swim club all day, and they swim all day, and then they're exhausted, and they go to bed. And we've never had a day like that in our lives. Not one. He's fourteen. N- never. Same. Um, same. <laughs> we're lucky we get an hour out of it. You know, an hour of sun and swimming without a meltdown would have been the total win for us. And then, you know, he discovered nighttime swimming once. And we, I thought we'd found something that we could count on. And then the next time he hated it and didn't have any language around it. Just, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was scary for some reason. And who knows? It was like shadows or, kit, you know, a noise or the weather was different or it was hotter or colder. I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and maybe he, he doesn't either. And actually, no. I mean, I think, gosh, can I, I really can resonate with what you just said. I have a feeling many listeners can too. You're just looking for one thing, something, something, either they're passionate about something that lights them up, something that they can kind of put all their worries aside and just be in the moment and enjoy. It's really hard to find that thing. And no, nope, I haven't found it either. There's been pieces, but no, I have not found that thing either.
1: Yeah. And I I think, um, you know, a lot of parents are exhausted a lot of the time, even with neurotypical kids and easier kids. And I think they're looking for those things where they can put their kids and get some peace and do some stuff they need to do or relax or whatever. And I think with out of the box kids, as you call them, um, there's so little of that time and you need it as a parent and they, it seems like they need it as a kid. It's a little, uh, It's confusing because you think they need it, but you can't find it. Um, And now that he's fourteen, he does have those things, Uh, but I don't know how long they will last. I don't know um, how much I can count on them. I mean, he's older, so and he's pretty good at you know saying what he needs and saying what makes him uncomfortable. And he has noise canceling headphones, and he you know he can get up and walk away because he's older and that kind of stuff helps a lot, which, uh, you know, obviously younger kids can't do, but I think it also took him longer, maybe because he's got so much going on internally. It took him longer to verbalize some stuff. So, you know, if, if a kid is hot, they might just be able to say I'm hot and I'm really uncomfortable. Whereas he couldn't say that he didn't know for a long time. Um, and of course he was more sensitive to being hot. So he, he would get hot more easily and then more sensitive and then you'd say, okay, just go in the pool, but he didn't want to go in the pool. So then yes. it's just uncomfortable and hot and uh, you know, and then you have to leave.
0: Yes. Um, I, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and yes, for us, it's, it's hunger. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. Well, why don't you have a bite? No, I'm not hungry. I'm not eating. Two seconds later, I'm starving. And, you know, <laughs> right. huge, huge meltdown over that. And, and that is just hard that's hard and and then as you mentioned like why don't you go take a dip in the pool no i don't want to do that it's like here are the solutions they're so dysregulated and and so just antsy that they it's not about finding a solution it's not like we're the magic keepers of the solution and if we just tell them what it is they'll just do it and it's fine they won't do it because it doesn't feel like the solution and the cycle continues yes yes
1: And I think some of that is like sort of normal, normal, typical kid behavior. Like I don't want to do what my mom's telling me to do, but they need it more than a typical kid needs it. They need to, they need help regulation and they need the, they need the dip in the pool more than regular kid. And they resist more Yes. and it's exhausting. It's totally exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it is, again, I think five was the height of it which is like full of energy you know uh, a typical kid I think could be running all day and not stop and then you know with my son I could barely get him to go and we'd have to we'd have to go to the playground and and we'd have to play with him which which is fun and fine but we don't have the energy of a five-year-old so we can't always and depending on where you are some parents will sort of not be happy with it or wonder why you're playing when it's supposed to be their time. And then that just adds layers. And um, I mean, you know, I never want to bash other parents, but if if you've never parented an out-of-the-box kid, if it's very hard to understand what it's like. And, you know, as we all know, and I think I've even tried to come up with ways to explain it and I can't really do it. It's just constant pressure and stress and worry. And And I'm a warrior, so I think people think it's because I'm a warrior, but I just want to say it's not. Like, it is not. I am around plenty of kids. I can manage all kinds of stressful stressful situations very, very easily now, because I'm so used to a constant level of, you know, did he get enough food? Did he get enough exercise? Um, You know, is he going to be able to sleep? Because if he can't, if he doesn't sleep enough, there's no shot of a good day. Even at 14, like there's never been a time where, I mean, he can go a day maybe now without, you know, on purpose. Like if he's at a sleepover, he can handle one night of bad sleep. But in general, like it just, it doesn't work. Like he needs, he needs food and he needs to eat and he needs some fresh air and he needs some running around or he can't really function.
0: I, the words that you're speaking are so dead on for me at least, like exactly. And you, you, I really like the way that you kind of easily summarized how hard it is because it's, it is hard to put into words. Like, how do I explain it to you? Well, where do I start? Because there's so many pieces. And I was thinking about the whole playing with him at the playground thing. And I'm sure (laughs) lots of parents who might be there are, you know, people get judgy, unfortunately, especially, especially when there's no physical disability to a child and there's right. no, you don't know what you're right. looking at. Yeah. And so it's like, why are you playing with your kid? You're just catering to them. You're giving them what they want. You know, you you, you have the the authority. You have the upper hand. Tell them, no, I'm all done playing and I want to sit down. Why yeah. Why for you back in those days, would that not have worked for you and your child?
1: Uh, if, if we hadn't played, you would have wanted to go home. Yeah. So that would have been he wouldn't have played. He would have gone back home and wanted more video game time. Um, which we used, we used video games a lot to sort of, I don't know if it was regulation or avoiding, it. I, I'm not sure, but it did yep. help some, but then too much was terrible. Yep. Um, but he would have just avoided it. I mean, he's a master avoider. So, um, which, you know, as you know, you can't, you can't enable that all the time. You have to find the ways through. Otherwise, you know, I say, I was just saying this to my wife. He would just sit in his bedroom and be enjoy it. Say it was fun, even though it was not a healthy uh, thing to be doing for hours uh, for more than, you know, a a limited time during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, absolutely would not do it, you know, would. And, and, you know, he's relatively social. I mean, he, he, he likes other kids, but doesn't would be, happier leaving mm-hmm. so those were my options and and we just recognized like I mean it was it was fun for us also but we recognized how just amazingly important it was for him um, and we were lucky at the time where we lived it was mostly it was okay it was like a, a playground where uh, there were a lot of kids without their parents so you know the kids would all just come and play with us so it, it worked out really well, but that was lucky. Like there are a lot of places where that wouldn't have worked at all.
0: No.
1: Um, and we let him do whatever he wanted, no matter how dangerous it looked or, you know, run up the slide backwards, which is a big controversy. Uh, anything he wanted to do because it was something, it was something, it was good for his development and his physical development. Um, Cause you know, I really worried about lagging physical development because, because of the emotional, you know, avoiding things. Um, and that can be, he, he did have some like weak hand muscles when he, at an occupational, an occupational therapist found when he was sick. Um, cause he just wasn't, you know, grabbing enough things and throwing enough things and, and jumping and climbing. And so, you know, that was, um, a good solution we found, but it just, it just as easily could have been shot down by other parents and just, Ruined completely. So I feel I felt really lucky about that. We definitely went to playgrounds where like I wouldn't go back again because, I mean, his behavior was never terrible, but it was like, he had sometimes control over what he said. So he'd swear sometimes, which parents just thought was the worst thing in the history of the world. And I get it sort of, but we just didn't have that luxury. I couldn't control much. And so if he was playing, and swearing a little bit because he was excited. I, It was still fine for me. I mean, he's playing. But mm-hmm. for a kid, you can just, you know, there are some kids you can just say, you can't say that word and they'll stop. But that was not my kid. So. Um, yes.
0: I think you have an older version of my child. Um, <laughs> they are really, really similar. And, and you made me think of something just now when you said you, you can't control Everything for him, and and I've had this thought, like, if only there was this magic parenting book. And for years, I thought it. I was looking for a magic parenting book for any child, not not even a, you know, neurodiverse one, where mm-hmm. a book would say how to get control, because you'd hear the advice, you're the authority or whatever, when you say this is not allowed it's not allowed and i would think but what happens when they do it well you you have a consequence okay but then what happens if they keep doing it well then you well then you what what do i do you know right. it, it, i don't get it i don't understand there's a missing piece well you just you just have to take charge how well it's the way that you speak to them okay i'm trying it's not yelling it's not too firm not too soft it's not working i don't get the how so the people who say, and that's yeah. pretty much everybody, that judgment, you should, you should, you should, like, I don't know how, I don't know how, do you know how I want to say to them, like, where did you learn? Yeah. It's just frustrating. That's always been, a well, I mean,
1: I think a lot of it happened in the past in really terrible ways. I mean, I think there was a lot of abuse and spanking and, uh, yeah. screaming and, you know, that got, that got kids and mostly boys in line when they were acting this way. Um, and I know for my son, like, and I'm just going to say, like, I'm, I can be very bossy. Like I'm a boss at work. I know how to take control of situations. I don't have that problem. I don't, it, I mean, he's very submissive when I'm like that, but that's, I don't want him. I don't want to teach him to be submissive. Um, if a three-year-old is saying inappropriate things, they don't know. They're, they don't, they're three. They barely have control over anything. You know, I mean, you know, he had no control over what he was saying. It was totally obvious. Um, So, you know, I think think you're exactly right that people blame the moms. Your kid is acting out in a way that they think is inappropriate, which I would think, I think personally, we need to think about what is appropriate and what is inappropriate developmentally for kids. Because I think we are way off base for what's appropriate. I mean, these kids get so little play time, so little free time, so little run around time. It, it's it's bad for all of them. But and they're so controlled. But for a kid who can't control anything based on even what their mom who they love so much says, like there is I think there is nothing you can do. I think you can take them out of the situation if you want if you can. Um you know Ask other parents to be a little ju- less judgmental, but you know that doesn't go very far. Um, but I-, I think that is—I think that is parents who don't understand neurodiversity and and think that control is much more important than I do. I don't—I don't, I don't want to control my kid. I don't want to control any kid. Um, You know, if someone's hurting someone or putting themselves in danger, that's a little different, but, um, you know, I just, I wasn't going to do anything I could think of to get my three-year-old to behave the way other parents expected a three-year-old who they didn't even know to behave. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I had decided that right at the beginning. So that, that was sort of, I was willing to, I was willing to fight that battle, Um, Mostly by leaving, but, but I was, yeah, I wasn't gonna make him feel bad because some other moms thought that him, you know, saying the F word was the worst thing that ever happened. My response to that was, you've had a pretty nice life. If if that's what's so bad in your life, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can come talk to me about what's going on with my kid. If you'd like, that'd be actually be really nice for me. But other than that, there's not a lot I can do.
0: Right. And actually, so I wanted to ask you that before. So this is the perfect time. But like, you do seem as if you really get him. And I do believe we become super professionals very quickly on the ins and outs of our out-of-the-box kids because they are so complicated. But like, when when this first started, you know, way, way, way back, did you already come to parenting with this idea of, of not picking every battle and, and you know the way that you parent him? Or did that come with realizing that he was different?
1: Um, so I think that came, some of it came a little before him. So I am queer and I'm used to not fitting into a lot of categories. So I don't sort of worry about that stuff as much. Um, also, uh, when I got pregnant, I had a lot of good friends who were home birth midwives Um, and, uh, which sort of pregnancy and labor is a whole different world to them. It's a normal, healthy thing. They treat you. I was 36. So my regular doctor treated me like I was, you know, old and everything was going to be terrible, even though I was perfectly healthy. Um, and so, you know, their mantra the whole time is we will do whatever we have to do to keep your you and your baby safe. If something goes wrong, we will take you to a hospital. And I live in Philly. So there were 10 hospitals around. That was not a worry at all. Um, so I, you know, and we hope you can breastfeed and you're going to give birth at home. Everything goes right. And I did. And, you know, he, he was a great nurser and, uh, I nursed in public and I was like very proud of it. And, um, and that was kind of, so that was kind of radical. I was already started from kind of a radical place and like, you know, they taught me a lot, you know, the immediate, you know, give yourselves time to bond with the baby immediately. Don't worry about what everybody else wants, which I really took to heart. Um, so I was, I think I was pretty primed for doing what we thought was best. Um, that doesn't mean that I, I, I did not expect any of, the extra stuff, even though I have a lot of it as well. Um, I sort of thought that all of the stuff I had was from the world I grew up in. Uh, and I've since learned that it's not some of it is just me and, um, just like, it's just him. And so I, I I think I was, I was very primed and like, uh, ready to see him for who he was. Yeah, Um, And not, not try and pretend about anything,
0: even though it's hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's something that I wish that I had had from the start, because I think there is such a societal grooming, so to speak of, of stereotypes and uh, traditions I use in quotes about, you know, how a child should be born raised. I mean, we we've, we hear about that sort of thing a lot, but I definitely was under this impression and I don't know where it came from. I'm sure it's a mix of me being, um, sort of a first child people pleaser sort of person, but also from what I saw around me and, and it was like, well, my kid, well, well, they're going to be super polite and super kind. And, um, but they're also going to listen because I'm in charge, but I'm going to be really gentle and nice about it. Cause you know, I, I'm not a yeller and um none of that like that was like fairy tale stuff I I don't even it's it's garbage and so that actually takes me back to the other thing that you said before about appropriateness and and it's all garbage how how and why do we have the rules quote unquote that we have for for children's behavior like yeah why is I mean, why is swearing bad? Why is um, my kids actually, and they don't know swears yet. They will soon. I have no doubt right now. My, my youngest is um, all potty talk stuff. So everything's just (laughs) been, yeah, I won't list all the words, but there's a lot of that. It's like, well, that's gross, but at the same time, totally developmentally appropriate. Now I know this because I'm a teacher and because I spent my whole life working with young children, but many parents and, and just society, they don't know child development. They never have taken a class. They Maybe they they don't have a child of their own, or or it's been a million years or whatever. And so I think you are totally right on what is appropriate and not appropriate, and also especially for neurodiverse kids. But I don't even think neurotypical kids are understood, not to mention kids with extra needs.
1: No, I think you're totally right. I mean, I think all of these um, rules that we've sort of come up with, for all the kids hurt them all. I mean, they all like as much play as they can get as, you know, as much running around, as much sun, as much dirt as they can manage, I feel like is good for all of them. Um, And, you know, we say no to it a lot as a culture, we say no a lot. And um, that's what I'm saying. Like, so we're with our five-year-old, the playground and the parents, you know, sometimes are regulating what the kids are allowed to do. Well, why just let them, you know, I mean, they're interfering with each other, you know, try and, you know, help, but like, it's not bad. They're playing. There's no bad play. It's playing. Um, and, you know, I think some of it too, is we don't, um, we don't know kids very well. You know, I remember when, when I was breastfeeding him, like it was the first time many people in our lives had seen anyone, a baby be breastfed. Cause usually the mom goes upstairs or, um, you know, and it's a big private thing and it's embarrassing and shameful. And like, I just wasn't, yep. you know, I don't know if I was lazy, but I was just like, he's hungry. I'm doing it right now. Like you'll all be fine. Uh, he's a baby. So, you know, I, you know, I think I was a little more comfortable when he was a baby because he was a baby and people kind of understand that babies need what they need when they need it. Um, it's much harder as they get older though. And even though a three-year-old is still very, very young, we, we we have all these expectations that I know he couldn't meet a lot of. Um, and it's so, it can ruin your whole day. You know, if some, if, you know, your kid's at the playground, you're excited that your kid is doing what they need to do. And then another mom can ruin your whole day. Yes. You know, like, uh, you know, I don't like this one thing your kid did. And it's amazing because I mean, I learned so, you know, how to avoid places and, you know, the safer places to go and the safer times to go those places just so it wouldn't be an awful situation for him. I mean, I didn't want him feeling bad about what he was doing. He was three, like he has no idea. Um, and and I think you're so right that we don't even understand. And I'm not saying I'm an expert, but we don't understand what is developmentally like the different developmental stages. And I don't mean like the theories. I mean, what the behavior will be. And I don't, I don't care what normal is either. It's like what you should expect and what you should leave alone. And like, you know, and, and stop that. I mean, there's such a tendency in our culture to want kids to grow up really fast, which is, I think part of the reason it's so hard to be neurodiverse is because it's all about lagging skills. And you know, my kid is, is neurotypical enough that he will catch up in a lot of these things, or I don't know the right wording for that, but he will catch up in a lot of the stuff. And But some kids won't ever. And why can't that be okay? Why can't, why can't we just, so what? Like, we'll do the best. We hope we'll, we'll help them as much as we can, but we're just judging them all. And they're just kids like trying to be happy, you know? And, um, and they really, and, and I have, we were talking about Facebook book groups. I have this one who belongs to this one group that says kids, everyone does well when they can. And I think that is, it like gives me the chills. Like, especially true with kids. They want to please the adults around them so badly if you can set them up for success, they will always take that option. If they can be happy and fun, they will always take that option. Mm-hmm. And if they're not happy and having fun, it's because they need help. It's because they can't be happy and having fun. And, and you know, we just want to punish it out of them and they just need help.
0: They're just dropping like truth bomb after truth bomb, <laughs> just like everything is a good one. When, when I promote an episode, when it's released, I like to take a few audio clips from it just to sort of give people a taste of what's in it. And I keep thinking, well, that's a really great one. That's an awesome <laughs> one. Oh my gosh. I got to use that one. It's just, everything is so, because it's so true. I agree deeply on all of it. And, and this is coming to me new. I think, I mean, I give you a lot of credit for having this, this base to work from for, for a long time. And of course your child is older as well, but for me, I'm yeah. just kind of coming around to this idea now of letting some traditional parenting things go and some societal norms go, like you said, lagging skills. What if they don't catch up? What's going to happen. And we're not talking about basic things. Like um, can I they tie their shoes? You know, my child does need to know how to tie his shoes. And eventually if he's struggling a certain time will come where, you know, I I might reach out for help OT or whatever to get him to do that. And he can now, but that was just an example, but, but other things like, well, he's not really comfortable or any child, not really comfortable going up to a random kid on the playground and saying, Hey, you want to play with me? And we kind of, we push that, you know, go introduce yourself, go say hi. Like, come on, let's go play. Some kids like that. Some kids don't, if they don't, then they may turn out to be adults who also don't go up to other people at a party or at wherever and say, Hey, like, let's chat. That's okay. Why are we trying to stuff everyone in the box? Um, And when you were talking before, I don't even remember how this came to my head, but I had to look this up while you were talking this book. And I actually have it. It's just downstairs. There's this really good book called, there's no such thing as bad weather. Um, It is specifically Mm -hmm. about getting your kids outdoors and the, the importance of that from um, the Scandinavian mom, Linda McGurk. Um, Excellent, excellent book. But one of the things that she talked about, and you said something that reminded me of it was like, what kids should or should not do that we've deemed wrong when it's actually maybe really right playing in the dirt, being out in the sun. Um, i would think about the fact that we have all these flowers around my house we did not plant them they were here when we moved in and mr four my youngest he likes to pick them and bring them to me because he's sweet but instead sometimes my gut reaction or anybody else is like don't pick the flowers that's part of the garden don't pick the flowers like that's what does he see he sees bouquets he sees them on tables he sees them on tv picking the flowers and giving them to your mother or whoever is exactly what a young child would do. Why are we telling them they can't pick flowers? What, what's the worst that happens? It just doesn't grow back for a year. Like like they don't make sense. Um, And so that just so many good things you're saying.
1: Well, and I think, thanks. (laughs) I I think also that a lot of people without neurodiverse kids um, don't ever get the chance to see that. I mean, some do, but in general, uh, they don't get the chance to learn that because if that's if your kid is if you're having a hard time connecting with your kid or your kid's having a hard time going outside or something and you're willing to let them do whatever the thing is they want to do just so you can have 10 minutes of fresh air, you just you you get there you get to that point eventually. But so in some ways, I mean, I don't want to make it sound I don't want to romanticize it too much, but in some ways it's a gift because you can see you you just get to the bottom of it. Like the thing that is the most important, what is that? What are we doing? And how do we figure that out? And how do we get there? And maybe how do we do it again? Although at least in our family, that's not something I, I've learned to not count on being able to do things again. Yes, like, um, yes. And how wonderful for a little four year old to bring his mom flowers like yeah. that's so sweet and and I get it you plant a garden you know you didn't plant yours but you plant yours and you want it to live and be beautiful but. Um, you know, so maybe you say, you know, thanks, but you know maybe let's wait another month before we do this again, um, yeah. or let's go on the other side of the house or something like that. Um, Cause those are my favorite. Or do you know, they die when you pick them. <laughs> right. If you I mean, leave them in the ground, they won't.
0: Yes. That's the perfect opportunity to talk about the life cycle of a plant. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to bust out the diagrams maybe, but just, just talking about it. But the thing is, if I say don't pick the flowers and, and that starts to sink in, I guarantee you, he will never pick a flower and he will never appreciate nature for what it is yeah. And learn how to work with it and respect it. Ugh.
1: And and, and, and I'm also,
0: yeah.
1: he, he might also learn, like, I thought I was doing something nice for mom, but then she got mad. And who knows what he takes away from that? Yeah. He might take oh. away, don't do nice things for mom. I mean, hopefully oh. not, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't mean to no. make you feel bad, no. Mad, but no, like, no. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, we had yeah. these things when we're just in like boss mode, we don't think about the impact of what we're saying, especially if we're harsh about it, and which is hard, I'm making it sound like it's easy for me. It's not always easy. I get very frustrated, Um, but like, especially with, you know, as we've talked about highly sensitive kids, if you're reacting really strongly to something, they wanna figure out how to make that not happen again. And, you know, as adults, we're remembering the thing that annoyed us, but I don't know what they're paying attention to. Yeah. And they, maybe they're all paying attention to different things.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think we know. No, I don't think we, I don't think we know either. And when you said before, and this, I think if if there's one takeaway here, there's a lot of takeaways, but if there's one big one from this entire conversation, it's that when you have a neurodiverse child, you have to get to the bottom of it faster. You're forced to, so you Mm -hmm. don't get and, and this, I learned this the hard way. I don't know about you, but this one, this was a lesson that took seven and a half years to get to, which is that I, I can't be picky and choosy and, and force my preconceived notions of motherhood and, and raising a child. I can't force that on him. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. And, and I don't, you know what I mean by the word force. Like I, yeah. I just... I can, I can guide, I can model, I can be an example, I can suggest, I can beg, I can plead. But if it's not going to fit with that child because of his neurodiversity, then forget it. So instead of all that, it is, I've had to quickly get to a place of just like almost cleaning the slate and forgetting everything you know. Because every time I heard something that I knew, it made me depressed and anxious. Why, yeah. why am I not getting my kid to do that? Um, and so when you let that all go, let's just start from base. And, and, and it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to turn off your brain with all those societal pieces. Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, I have two other children and they are neurotypical. And so I can use those natural, uh, what comes to me naturally because it's the way I was raised and it's the way all my friends were raised and we all you know, came from the same kind of culture. And those two kids, they, they follow right along with that, but not this one. And I thought, well, if I just try harder, and I'm just doing something wrong, if it just, I, I just, I just got to keep trying. No, no, you don't. And and not only that, but why can't he just be himself? Um, so that's that's my main takeaway. And and you just seem like I know you said you get frustrated, but man, you you really sound like you've really got it figured out.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, thanks. I, I've worked really, really hard at it, um, for sure. And I like. A lot of it comes from my gut. And um, I just, it was very clear to me from when this first started happening, probably when he was three is when it became kind of more, when, you know, cause again, babies get so much accom- accommodations anyway. So uh, it just became clear to me that he wasn't doing anything to try and be difficult, he was trying to be a good kid, and he was very loving and, you know, very connected with us, and uh, and just had a lot going on inside that didn't come out in a way that was what you'd expect. You know, I sort of expected a high energy three year old boy to just run, like you open the door and he would run but I'd, he wouldn't even go outside. I'd have to take it. And like, uh, and so, you know, I remember once uh, he went to a Montessori preschool for a year. And I remember once uh, there was a mom I knew from work and she said, what I've learned from Montessori is to follow my kids lead. And I thought that's so sweet. I love it. You know, she had a little girl who was thriving there and, and I thought, well, if I let my kid lead, we'd never leave the house. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really work for me. I mean, so he's leading in a way, but it's not with words and it's not, um, with something that you can, he can't say it for sure. And you can't really see it unless you're really paying attention. So I learned to pay attention and, you know, I just, I didn't want us to be, we both worked full time. I didn't want the three hours we spent together as a day, as a family to be fighting or meltdowns. Like so some of it was selfish. I wanted it to be nice times. I wanted us to be able to hang out, and um, we changed our whole lives. Like we like previously had been pretty social, and you know we had friends who had kids the same age, and we just realized we could. He couldn't do it. Like if he went to school, that was all he could do for the day. He couldn't leave the house for the rest of the day. I mean, he was very young at this point, but like that was all he could handle, and. Yep. you know I think a lot about about like kids bad kids I'm using quotes on podcast bad kids when from when I was a kid and I wonder like did they just have ADHD or did they um you know did they have some other problem that their parents just didn't know they had and they really couldn't you know they it came up in acting out I mean this is mostly teenagers I'm thinking of but it came up in you know pulling the fire alarm or, you know, running out of school or picking on someone like we're getting picked on, you know, did they just have problems that their parents didn't understand? And they're not physical, they're emotional or neurological, and they're not severe enough. They're, they're minor enough that the kids can cover them up in ways that are cause other problems, if that makes sense. And, but they're major enough that they need more help than they're getting. Mm -hmm. And you know, we all knew those kids and, um, you know, I didn't want my kid to be that kid. I didn't want him to get lost. We have one kid. I didn't want my one kid to get lost in the system that would label him and drug him. And not that labels and drugs are bad, but you can just get lost in that and you can become the bad kid. And, you know, he's such a good kid. He's such a good kid. And so like, that would have, I would have failed if that, If those were the labels, you know, and he can be very quiet and he can sit by himself and like, that's not well received. And then sometimes he's very loud and very playful. And like, it doesn't, you you can't label that. You can't say he's a loud kid who needs to do this, or he's a quiet kid. Like he's just a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that I saw right from the beginning, like, you know, I feel like I saw his heart and. He's just a beautiful kid, and they probably all are, really, um, who couldn't really function the way our society wants kids to function. And if that means he needs a label, that's fine. If that means he needs some medicine, that's fine. If that, But like, I didn't want him to feel like he was bad, which is what happens to kids when they can't meet those needs. You know, and that's how our society works. You're bad. If you can't do these things, an adult tells you to do. And how silly is that? They're kids. They don't, we're not talking about a 14 year old now. We're talking three, four, five. Like they're not bad. They're babies. They have no idea. They think they're being funny or they think they're, you know, you know, they're upset about something that happened six hours ago that they can't remember. And they can't tell you because they're delayed and they're lagging and his verbal skills were always his verbal skill. He used very big words, but was very behind. Mm-hmm. So like he couldn't connect his emotions with his words. He could use very big words, but yep. he couldn't connect them to himself. Mm-hmm. So, mm. um, you know, how you doing? Fine. It was always fine. He was, you know, he wasn't, he didn't complain. He didn't, you know, mm-hmm. um,
0: so it was very complicated. It is complicated. Yeah. And every time you, everything you say, I keep thinking of so many, so many follow-ups that are so good. You said you want to enjoy those three hours, you know, between school and bed essentially. And I just think about how much of a nightmare those hours are for us most days. And if I, why, why, because I'm going to go pick up my kids in a little while why when they get home thankfully they're only finishing up first grade we don't have a lot of we don't have to deal with the homework nightmare yet that's coming i know but for now why am i forcing him outside there's one why am i uh you know he's going he, he was taking piano lessons we're going to be quitting that but for a while it's like well now we have to practice piano there's two um we have to clean up this room from the weekend there's three Why why am I doing that? Like why? He is exhausted mentally from a day at school. He would like to sit on the couch and watch TV. I am stuck in a world of screen time is bad and um and and to be fair, too much makes him ragey. But a little bit, it's a really fine line to find, come kind of balances him out and chills him a little bit. He deserves to be able to wind down without me immediately giving oh, yeah. directions. Why, why has it taken me this long to realize that? So you make you, it's not selfish. And you said that you, you just want to enjoy time with your family. So do I. So why on earth am I picking these battles? Just let him watch TV for a little bit, but then maybe. Well, say, I can, yeah, go ahead. I can guess
1: part of the reason why, which is that in our society, seven is not young anymore. Yeah. And. I think we don't, I think there's two things. One is that we don't think kids need de- decompression time, which I think all, I think all human beings do. Um, and you know, it's a lesser and more, but I think everyone does. Um, but also I think we think seven is old yeah. and for some kids it might be, you know, for some kids, seven is, you know, can be, they can be very mature, but. It doesn't mean they don't need decompression time. It doesn't mean they you know, they still need decompression time. They still need time to connect with mom um or whoever, caretaker, adult they love. Um and school is a long day. You yeah. know, 7 is and my argument is 7 is practically still a baby to me. Agreed. Um I mean, they're tiny, they're short, they're they need a lot of sleep. They all some still need naps. They could cuddle probably for 4 hours of the day if you let them. Um and why not do that? Like yeah. They're going to grow out of it even if they're lagging, they're going to grow out of it. And you know, you just don't childhood is so short. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, and that's why I learned a lot of this stuff is I I was pretty alert to the fact that childhood is short and I because of things that happened in my life, I was I grew up very early and it really it's it's going to stay with me forever and I didn't want him and that doesn't mean he doesn't have responsibility like those are different things like he's 14 he has some things he's responsible for but he's still a kid you know if he's having a bad day I might say forget unloading the dishwasher like you don't feel good lay on the couch it's fine um but I try to make it match what's going on like I try to make it more about him than about my expectations
0: can you explain that? That's, that's interesting. I'd like to hear that making it more about him than your expectations. Yeah.
1: So he's 14 and has gone through puberty and is tall and looks pretty grown up and can be very grown up in lots of ways. And um, we've talked about him getting a job over the summer and um, I know he could do it. I also know that if it's not right, it will be terrible. Um, and I don't want it to be bad. So we've decided to not do the job I was thinking of. And you know, I, I've learned to sort of mold my expectations around him. So I think I, I'm a big believer that responsibility in kids is great. Like, especially for things they really care about. Um, and he's a baker. So I was thinking of finding him a little part-time job at a bakery. And then it turned out that the job was um, talking to customers. Which is not his strong suit at all, and not really what I was thinking. So we sent a nice, a very nice email saying, you know, maybe we'll try again next year. Thanks a lot. Um, and I think what I've learned to do is, I still want to have expectations for him, but I want him to, them to be expectations that are important to him, like important for his growth, and things that he can do. I don't want to set him up for easy for it to be a disaster and for him to feel terrible about himself because when you're sensitive and maybe this is true of all kids but it's very easy to feel terrible about yourself and that's not the point of a summer job the point is to feel good about yourself and to do something that is a little more grown up because you're a little more grown up but if you were if you met him walking down the street you'd think of course he could do this Of course he can. He's very personable. He's very charming. He can talk to adults, but I could imagine a day that's busy and he doesn't feel like talking to people and everyone's yelling at him and him just feeling rot. And he's 14 years old. Like that makes no sense. Um, And there are probably some 14 year olds who could do that. Fine. You know, I as a 14 year old probably could have done that. Like I I was very social. Um, But you know, it wasn't what I was thinking. It wasn't it wasn't the job there that I was thinking. It's not what they need right now. Um, so we said no, uh, which is, you know, as a kid, for me as a kid, probably for most of us have, as kids, if your mom said to you, I want you to do this thing, there was no turning back really, you know, there was no adjusting for, it wasn't what I expected. Um, and I have absolutely taught myself to put him in situations that, where he can be successful because when he's not successful, he will just feel bad about himself. And and life is hard enough for him. He doesn't need, we don't need him to get a job, luckily, you know, and so I'm not, I'm not gonna set him up. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. Like my expectations, I like, I'm not always great at it, but my, I like my expectations to revolve around things that will help him grow and help him learn and that he will thrive in and that can bring out his best. I'm um,
0: so glad that you said that. I'm so glad that you explained that too. And not just, I mean, for a teenager, it looks like a job. For me, I'm still struggling with my expectations of what I think kids should be able to do. And, and it's the same idea, same concept. Yeah. And so, like, for example, my, one of my sons, like send him off the edge is cleaning like the most basic cleaning and should he be able to clean? Yes. But he doesn't want to argue with me for five hours and throw down an hour long meltdown over a picking up a shoe. He doesn't want that, but that's what comes out. And if I do it for him, am I teaching him that don't worry, you get to cry and scream and I'm going to do everything for you? Or am I teaching him that he's struggling right now and I'm not going to force him into an uncomfortable situation just to prove that I was right or that I'm in charge? I don't know. It's super. I go back and forth all the time. Well,
1: you know what we did? Um you know, I don't know if this is great, but what we did in situations like that, because again, like I do think responsibility, and especially for sensitive kids, because they want to feel part of something, they don't want, you know, he wants to feel like he's part of the family, you know, yes. like um, what we did, and because his sensory issues were still so big at that age, was we found things that he could do easily that were cleaning. So he liked to wash the windows. Yes. Yes. And I was like, I don't really care what he does as long as he does something because, you know, I don't want to raise my middle class. I mean, honestly, this is me. I don't want to raise my middle class white kid to be, to think that the world takes care of him. I want him to be part of, I want him to learn how to help, um, you know, and learn the skills to help, not just think I'm helping, but like actually learn the skills. So, We just do whatever. And we still have to do this because he still can't wash dishes. Like he can't handle dirty dishes like that makes him gag. So, but he empties the dishwasher, no problem. So, and the difference between, and when he was seven, you know, he wouldn't have just said that makes me gag. He would have gagged. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, so that would have been upsetting, you know, and so he would have been upset then. So, but if he vacuumed, you know, he loved it or mopped or swept. Like he could do those things and he has allergies. So we have to, we had to be a little careful about that, but, uh, we just found stuff he could do. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I love, I love the way that you're just, I don't know. It seems you're just easily giving so much, um, so much grace to, to yourself, to your wife, to your kid, to just do what works. Like, it's really quite simple. Just do what works. Well, I mean, it's definitely
1: not always that pretty, but this is like the yeah. goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is the goal. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that like, I'm less frustrated. He's less frustrated. You know, we're all like, we all feel better. We yeah. feel better about our time together. We feel better about our participating in things. Um, that's the goal, right? Yeah. So the goal is everyone does something. Um, it And it does, as I'm talking to you, it sounds, I think, easier than it actually is and, I'm sure, you know, he would say it's a disaster a lot of the time, but I think, and especially when, you know, if your oldest are seven, you know, you're trying to avoid the horrible meltdown that ruins the whole night, right? Because they're younger and that's what will happen. And, you know, I mean, and maybe we're, maybe some of it is just luck. We don't really have that anymore at 14, but like um, you have to, I my feeling about that was like, I had to learn how to avoid that because he could sometimes like that could happen and he could have to miss school the next day. Like, you know, it's exhausting. Um, um, It's, it's all consuming. It was like his whole body, his whole, his whole little being was going through it. And so, um, you know, and we would talk and we would, you know, my wife and I would talk and say, we we don't care that much if he cleans. like, this is not, or like, you know, I'm proud of him for making it through a day of school and having a nice time. And like, I don't want him to feel miserable the rest of the night. Like, I don't want, I don't want him to think I'm the enemy. I don't want him to think I don't see that. And so, I mean, that's my philosophy is that, and I think the the kids will tell you how long they need to be accommodated in that way. I think you will see they will, they will grow out of it when they grow out of it, which for some kids might be never, but, probably just a year or two later than what you're expecting right like they just need a little more time and a little more kindness uh and they will grow out of it because I'm not and by no means trying to raise a person who can't be a functional adult I am absolutely trying to raise a kid who can be a functional adult I'm hoping to give him the scaffolding to be able to understand what he needs and that he really needs it it's not um it's not a luxury, you know, and so you need to eat well, and you need to sleep, and you need to get exercise. And if you want to not do that as an adult, you cannot do it and see what happens. But, um, you know, to understand that for, and maybe it's true for everyone, and we just ignore it. I don't know, but like for him, it's very important that he that he gets that stuff, and for me, it's very important that he becomes a functional adult out of like like understanding himself and and the world, and his place in it, and what he's good at, and what he's not good at, which is also fine, my, my wife really struggles with things she's not good at, and I say to her, like, there's things all of us are not good at, every single person, and I, I am, you know, she thinks I'm good at everything, which is so sweet, but, like, there are things I'm terrible at, but, you know, maybe I cover it up better or something, I don't know, but, like, I want him to know what he's good at. I don't want him to feel bad about the things he's bad at. I'd rather him say like, I can't wash the dishes. I will throw up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like who wouldn't understand that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's such an honest thing. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, or maybe you can work on it. Maybe he, you know, if he ever, you know, maybe he'll grow out of it when he's 16 or 17. Maybe Mm -hmm. he'll want to grow out of it. if he, Because that's the other thing is when they want to learn this stuff, they can learn it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but you have to, I think, be a lot older
0: for that, if that makes sense. It's so good. So good. It's really giving me pause on pushing my agenda on all my seven kids. Is a,
1: seven is a baby. Seven is seven a baby. Is, it, it is. Seven is a baby. And, um, we don't talk about that enough. Um, we don't. We absolutely don't talk about that. You know, seven is, you know... Yeah.
0: Yeah. you're
1: still in it you know and maybe 10 is sort of more of a sometimes over point. Not. yeah sometimes not yeah,
0: yeah. it depends and, and as for a neurodiverse child um in, in my kid's case you know emotionally he can be a, a behind there's those lagging skills so trusting the journey and the process of his growth without yeah. panicking over his growth yeah. and therefore forcing on him things that send him into panic or, or anger or rage. I'm not going to tiptoe around him, but like, like maybe it's okay. If he needs help getting his socks on, maybe that's okay. Maybe I can do that without, without saying I'm going to help you this time. But next time I want you to try it on your own. No, he'll try it on his own when he's ready. He won't go off to high school. I really doubt. (laughs) I really hope with me putting his socks on, like, but I have to trust that. I have got to trust that. Yeah. That's so good. So good.
1: Yeah, it is. It's hard. And depending on how much pressure you're getting from other people too, it can, it can make it harder. Um, I am, I'm fairly confident in my ability to tell people to not tell people, but I'm fairly confident in my ability to, to just do the thing I think is right. Um, I'm not actually good at telling people what's going on and that kind of stuff but um one i've learned a lot of that in the stuff in the community that he's gone to school in which um uh is it's a sudbury model school and it's self-directed in part it is very it can be very good for neurodiverse kids because you can go to meetings and sit upside down in chairs and um uh, and do the stuff that four and five and six and seven and 10 year old kids need to do to be able to pay attention. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's like kinesthetic Mm -hmm. learning. Like they need, they can't sit like we're sitting right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and who cares? Mm -hmm. They don't. Mm -hmm. Um, but the difference can be for those kids that they can participate versus they can't participate. And that's like, so I've really learned a lot about that, that, that for my son as a four-year-old, he could participate in school upside down in a chair. Um, he could not participate in a, I mean, he could, but if he participated in a circle, the, I really think that some of the stuff he did in preschool, he would come home and just act out because he he really couldn't do the thing they were asking him to do. So it took his like, whole little body to sit there in the way they needed him to. And so sort of, it sort of looks like he can do it because he's actually doing it, but then he'd come home and have just, outrageous meltdowns. Like we'd never seen. Um, and that was part of where I learned. I part of that's part of what I, where I really learned that he was different was because, and that I was a different kind of parent because, you know, we'd go to his school and the teachers would say, he's a great kid. He's doing great. And I'd say, but he's coming home and having meltdowns. And they'd say, yeah, that happens sometimes. (laughs) Yep. And I was like, no, he's a baby. Like this can't be good for him to be having meltdowns like three or four days a week for hours at a time. And um, it just didn't feel right to me. So we adjusted that. And then we we adjusted. She said he was going full time. We adjusted to halftime. She said, oh, of course he should be going halftime. It's never good for the kids to be full time. But they were accommodating us because we were full time working parents, right? So they didn't want to freak us out. but he was three. He mm. couldn't handle being at school. He just couldn't do it.
0: And no. a lot of them can't. Correct. Oh, so. correct. Neurotypical or not. So, correct. As a teacher, I can vouch to that and it's it's like that's a whole other conversation about about yeah. that piece. Um but yeah, a, a, an understanding. We're back to understanding child development and especially yeah. for out of the box kids. And here we are saying that we're accepting as a society, but no, we're still trying to shove them in there. And, and the goal is to get them to appear neurotypical. That seems to be the goal. Why not have the goal be to meet them where they're at and help them find success as a neurodiverse child, but, yeah, but it's not. And so this is, this is, oh, this is really good for me. This is good reminders. Um, good. When I pick them up today, perhaps I'm just going to let them breathe for a little bit. He wants to watch TV go for it. He's not going (laughs) to watch TV every single day for the next 10 years. Eventually he'll say, I want to go ride my bike or I want to go whatever, play with a friend. But for right now, if this is what he needs, can't we just trust that he is advocating for himself and not force on him?
1: I think that's a great point. Like trust yourself, you know, you're his mom, you love him. You want him to feel good. You're not going to let him sit there and watch TV for six hours a day, every day for the next three weeks. Yeah. You know, but an hour, Mm-hmm. You know, might be fun, mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know, and the the thing is, what you see then is how much it helps, um and how it does end eventually. Like it does, he he will it will get easier for him, mm-hmm. you know, unless unless he's m- more severe than you know, but it doesn't sound like he is. I think you would know that, and. So, but I just I'm so much about parenting from the gut, and um, you know that's where we we're connected to them the most. And and you know I'm sure there's lots of people who would disagree with lots and lots of things I'm saying. Um, and you know, and I you know sometimes I wonder myself like am I am I over accommodating? Am I I mean, I wonder this a lot, like, you know, if he, if his problems aren't so severe, should we just throw him into public school and like hope for the best and, and not worry about it too much. And I do wonder that I'll probably wonder that forever, but why not have an easier, happier childhood where you're getting nice time with your family and doing stuff you like that you enjoy and you find pleasure in, um, and be a little happier. Yeah. You know, as a family, as a kid, you know, as a mom, like, because um, every day matters, you know. And I, I don't, I'm, I don't want a life where every day is a fight about something. I try to avoid that, you know, because that's unhealthy. Just so you can appear normal to the outside world.
0: I mean, what's normal anyway? So good. <laughs> There's so many mic drops. I that one there. <laughs> Ooh, gosh, like you should write a book. I would buy that. I would totally buy that. Um, you're very nice. No, really though, because you have a really solid, I know it's hard. I'm not saying that you have it all figured out, but you have a very solid understanding of helping neurodiverse children succeed. And it really is quite simple. It doesn't mean it's easy to implement, but the concept is simple, which is just allowing them to just be and, and following their lead. Um, and, and stop trying to put them back into, you know, whatever container that we think they should fit in, but you really just like blew my mind. There's so much (laughs) good stuff in here. I want to listen to it 5 million times. Now I guarantee, guarantee that I'm going to have moms who are listening, reaching out to you and, um, whether they have a question or they just want to become your new bestie and, uh, you know, just chat about all the things. Um, how can they best find you? How would you want to share your information with them?
1: Um, I, what do
0: you usually do? Facebook well, or email or? I've done all of the things. It, typically, if people are on social media, um, Facebook or Instagram, that tends to be an easy one for listeners. Oh. But email as well, if they have you know a, a question. Up to you, whatever you're comfortable with.
1: Uh, well, I'm on, I have all of those. I'm on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Um, probably either of those is
1: probably best okay
0: what's your instagram Um, name um oh wait i think because i think i saw you earlier i think i
1: just yeah i think i just
0: yes where is it and i don't remember my instagram and and columbia yeah yeah it's very creative hey it works (laughs) um and that's actually perfect to to get people to find you and, and they may reach out and i think you just you're, you're many steps ahead, mo- mostly because your child is older, but you, you're thinking about this is where my brain has just started. And I really am loving it. It, it, it feels right. It sits right. Everything that you said. So uh, you're like oh. my kind of mantra for how I want to do this and, and need to repeat these words for me. Because, wow. That's yeah. so nice. nice. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true.
1: Well, I think you should reach out to me too, if you want. I sure will talk about specific things.
0: I surely surely will. Um absolutely 100%. Yeah. It's just cool. so good. So Nancy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you. Go to my website on the harddays.com and click on schedule a call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at ontheharddays with dots in between each word, or in my free Facebook community, on the hard days podcast and community if you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey i encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that i can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need